Well, I was doing okay till a couple of those songs. And I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow, no more pain. I will rise on Ingle's wings. I was a crier when I was a kid. And my mom told me to suck it up. And then we sing that song you guys just sang, and it's one of my favorite songs. Start crying again. Anyway, all right. Um, my dad passed away in 2008. And since then, it had been a lot of sorrow for my mom. <laughs> then she got sick. <laughs> and the last week, she was hurting. So when we sang that, no more sorrow, no more pain, that got me. All right, suck it up. That's what mom's telling me right now. All right. By the way, I don't think my mom's looking down on me. I think she's looking to Jesus. When people say that at funerals, it bugs the fire out of me. Because I sure hope, and she said this about my dad too, I sure hope he's not looking down on whatever's going on down here and that he's worshiping his Savior. Okay, Greg, get up here. Um, David already introduced him. Thanks, David. Um... Greg came to Pueblo. He'd been in Springs forever, right? And he, uh, he came to Pueblo in January of 2009. Is that right? We came here in October of 2009. And this man loved us. And Cheryl. <laughs> Greg and I, I don't even know how many times we had lunch and breakfast and everything else together. But uh, he helped our church through some core values along the way. And then he, then he retired. What were you thinking? But he's still working. <laughs> he's been, he and Cheryl, they call themselves nomads. You've lived in like 18 different places in the last nine years, haven't you? And you're back. And you're back in Pueblo. Um, this is Dr. Greg Cole. I like to call him that. Oh, Captain, my captain is often what I call him. If you guys have seen that movie, you anyway. Um, and I was having lunch with him on Tuesday when I got a text from my brother. My mom wasn't doing too well. And uh, I said, what are you doing Sunday? <laughs> Here he is. So I want to pray for you now. And I, I'm thankful for you and Cheryl. I'm glad you're back in town. And you've got some pretty good neighbors, too. You do. Yeah, living next door to John and Dolores. So um, we're there. Lord, thank you for my friend Greg. I pray that your spirit be upon him. I thank you for a chance to worship you. And I pray that you're blessed, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be back in Pueblo. You know, if you would have asked me nine years ago when I retired early, I'm not that old, Greg. I just retired early, right? <laughs> when, I, when I retired early, uh, that we would be coming back here, uh, I would have said, no, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, we, we sold our house purposely here and... Uh, wanted to unencumber ourselves to, to go wherever God wanted us to go, and we went 
a lot of places, like Greg said. We won't go there. We don't have that much time for me to tell you all of our moves since then. But anyway, uh, my dad passed away this past, a year ago this past week. And uh, live in Springfield, Missouri. We have a son that lives up in Sterling. We have another son that lives down the, the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And that really got to thinking of how far away we are from family and how we really need to relocate to be back close to family. And we missed Colorado. And so we began to look, and God just led us back here, and we were, are within a day's drive, basically, of all of our family. And uh, that's what brought us back here, but ultimately God brought us back here. <clears throat> and uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. A uh, lot of familiar faces good to be back and sharing sharing here. I don't know how many times I preached for you, Greg, but several times I preached. Yeah. First day you were here, preach, you know? Okay. Uh, enough about me, enough about Cheryl and our uh, moving around and being vagabonds. Uh, I, I come back naturally. Uh, I went to uh, 12 different schools from first grade up to 12th grade in eight different towns. And uh, before I ever went away to college, and so uh, we, we've been gypsies, we've been nomads. Uh, but now we're putting roots down, and this is where, this is our final forever home we just moved into. So Dolores, you and John are stuck with us, being your neighbors, so that's the way it goes. <laughs> Bow with me in prayer. Father, your, your word you promise us never returns to us void, never returns to you void. That whenever your word is shared, Lord, it produces fruit, it impacts lives. It is a living word. And Lord, I don't know how this happens, it's beyond my pay grade. But Lord, when your word is shared, you custom make it for every person in the room. It's the same words. It's the same inspired text. But you use it to speak in your own special way to every single person where they are and what they need. And Lord, my prayer today is simply for you to do that. Lord, for me to not get in your way, but for you to use your word to speak to every person in this room. Lord, uh, thank you for this opportunity to be the bearer of your wonderful, inerrant, inspired word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And I forgot to leave out my good friend Bob here. Bob, we've known each other for 35-plus years, right? And, uh, oh, man, Bob is a great, great guy. And... Uh, Good to see you again. I was just really surprised when I walked in and saw you, Bob. Good, good to see. You. Okay, uh, in the eleventh chapter of Luke, Jesus' disciples came to him and they asked him, "Teach us how to pray." And we know the result of that. He taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then we go on the rest of that. Most of us learned it in the King James and we quote it in the King James. Our Father which art in heaven. 
And, and when we say those words, when we pray those words, I'm getting a feedback. I'm getting, I'm, man, this must be so good, you guys need to hear it twice. When we say the words, our Father, it, it brings up two questions. The first question is, why are we allowed to call him our Father? What gives us the right to call the sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise, creator of the universe, what gives us the right to call him Father? It seems kind of presumptuous in a way. And yet the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we become Christians, when we walk in that fellowship and we accept Christ for who he is and what he did on the cross, then God adopts us into his family and we become his children and we have the right to call him father because he's adopted us just like we would adopt any child. They have the right to call their parents mom and dad. But Paul goes on even more here. He says, we call him Abba, father. Now, that word Abba can loosely be translated dad or daddy. We have the right to call him father. And so Jesus said, when we pray, pray our father which art in heaven. But that brings up the second question when we say our father which art in heaven. The second question is, what kind of father is he? What kind of father is God in heaven? Now, we have a problem there because as human beings, we compare things. We compare the unknown to the known. That's just who we are. That's what we do. When we eat something and it's kind of unfamiliar to us and we don't know exactly what it tastes like, what do we say? It tastes like chicken. In fact, our younger son, when he's about 12 or 13 years old, he said when he grew up, he was going to start a chain of restaurants called Taste Like Chicken. He's going to serve rattlesnake and ostrich and, and alligator and all those things we say taste like chicken. But we do that. We compare what we know to what we don't know. And when it comes to fathers, that's kind of a problem because no matter how good a father is, they still make mistakes. And some of you may have even had horrible fathers, abusive fathers. But even the best father, the father that we sometimes would call the perfect father, the father knows best father. We're all, we're all that age. We remember fathers knows best. The father knows best father. Make mistakes because we are fallen, sinful human beings. And we make mistakes. And so we compare what we know about fathers to what we know about God. And I think Jesus knew this. And so in the 15th chapter of Luke, he tells three parables that are linked together in their focus and in their thought. The first parable 
is the parable of the lost sheep. The second parable is what we call the parable of the lost coin. And then the third one, the one I want to focus in today, is what we call the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. I think that we have misnamed that parable. You know, you realize the, the, the chapter headings we have, the little headings you have in your Bible, are all put in there later after this was written. When, when this was written, when Luke wrote this and when the whole the Bible was written, there were no chapters, there were nothing. There was just the text. And we come along to make it easier, we put headings on this. And the heading that all of us have probably known about this passage is the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. But I want to post to you this morning, it's the parable of the loving father. And I want us to focus in today on that father. The father in Luke chapter 15, 11 and following. Read along with me. You can read along in your word or your Bible, or you can read up here on the screen. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the son picked up his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, as money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father. I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, What's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. 
There are so many nuances in this story, and we could focus in so much. We could focus in on the, the, the brother that ran away. We could focus on the bitter elder brother. But today, I want us to focus in on the loving father. And I want us to see that there, there, through this story that Jesus told, through this parable Jesus told, there are five characteristics of God that are revealed here. The first one is this. God is a seeking God. God is a seeking God. Jesus shows that specifically in the two parables that he said before this, because he said them just one after another, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, that the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd lost the sheep, couldn't find him, had 99 and he, 100 and he lost one, he left the 99 behind and sought after the lost sheep. The parable of the lost coin, the lady of the house had 10 coins, she dropped one of them, lost it, and she scoured her whole house until she found the lost coin. You see, God is a seeking God. And I don't believe that the father looked out just by chance and saw his son down the road. No, I believe the father was out there every single day looking for his son. Now, we don't know how many times he was. Maybe it was once a day. Maybe it was when he got up in the morning, when he took a break. Maybe at lunch, took a break in the afternoon. Maybe at twilight, maybe at supper. We don't know. But I think that we can inject in here, without doing damage to the text, that the father was constantly looking for his son. It wasn't a, happen, a happenstance that he just walked, and, oh, there's my son. No, he was out there every day looking seeking for his son. And this started in the Garden of Eden. You realize that? The seeking God started in the Garden of Eden because when Adam and Eve sinned, they felt ashamed because they had sinned. They tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves and they hid when they heard God coming. And God spoke to them, where are you? Now, God knew where they were because he's all-knowing. But he was saying for them to think, where am I in relationship to God? And God is still saying that to each one of us. Seeking us out, saying, where are you in relationship to me? But not only is God a seeking God, God is a loving God. Look at verse 20, if you would. He returned home to his father. And it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And then filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, we lose a lot here in translation because the, the Greek language has a lot of nuances and, and a lot of different things. I mean, they have like four words for love, and we have one. They have a lot of different things. And basically, when we look at this, the word used here for in the New, the New Living Translation I'm using here says love and compassion. It's the same word used twice for emphasis. Just like we might say very, very. It's the same word used twice for emphasis of his love. But not only that, we have to understand the cultural context. In that time and in that culture, men did not run. They simply didn't. Kids ran, teenagers ran, but men did not run. 
It was unheard of for a man to run in that culture. And yet this father threw all that aside. Who cares to see me? I'm running down here to my son. Who cares if people look at me and think that guy's crazy? I'm running down to my son to embrace my son. And then it says he hugged him and he kissed him. And again, we don't quite understand that the, the impact of that because of the language translation, but basically what it means is that he came to him and he threw his arms over him like this, not a hug like this, threw his arms over him and almost fell on him. And then the word that is used in Greek for the kissing means he kissed him again and again and again and again. This extreme love he had for his son. We know this because we've read as God's people in 1 John 4, 16 that God is love. But a lot of people, a lot of people have with God's love because again they compare it to human love God's love is unconditional we can't comprehend that because we don't see unconditional love as human beings to human beings one of the great songs of tradition of recent times of uh, praise songs is I Run to the Father by Cody Carnes. And there's one line in there that just, I think, sums it up so much. He says, I do not have a context for that kind of love. We don't have a context for that kind of love. We can't comprehend that kind of love because we don't know that kind of love as we see each other and as we love each other as best we can. We do not have a context for that love because our context for love is a conditional love. But you see, there is nothing, nothing that you or I can do to make God love us any more or make God love us any less. He loves us the same no matter what. No matter how close we are to him, no matter how far we are from him, he loves us the same. There's nothing that we can do to make him love us more or make him love us less. Now, we hurt him, we grieve him, we, we pain, give him pain, we disappoint him by our actions, by our sins, by our thoughts, by our words, but that does not mean he loves us any less. We serve him, we give to the church, to him through the church, we praise him, we sing the praises to him, that pleases him, but it doesn't mean that he loves us anymore. He loves us no matter what with an unconditional love. God loves us unconditionally. So God is a seeking God. God is a loving God. But also God is a forgiving God. In our text here, it doesn't say the Father forgave him. It doesn't say that 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 happened. But there's a little... Thing that we're going to look at here, that the transition that kind of shows that. It says that he told his father in verse 21, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But, in verse 22, but 
His father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe, get the ring, bring the fatted calf, we're going to have a party. You see, that but, that one word there changes everything because the father didn't say, yeah, you sinned against me, son. Yeah, you really disappointed me. You really let me down. You let your brother down. You took all that money and got, and you're going to have to work it off, son. You're going to have, when you come back, you're coming back, but you're going to have to work off and pay back all that money. And he didn't say that at all. So I believe here that he forgave the son by his actions. He forgave the son by his actions. In fact, 1 John tells us that in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness or some translations say all unrighteousness. God forgives us when we confess our sins. And that's what this son did. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He confessed his sin. And I believe the father didn't have to say, I forgive you, son. I believe his action showed that he forgave him. A seeking God, a loving God, a forgiving God, but we also see here a celebrating God. I love what the New Living Translation says, and that's part of the reason I chose it today. In the latter part of verse 24, it says, he says that we must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead, and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. The party began. God is a celebrating God. You know, and I had a problem with that for a while. Many of you are familiar with the Psalm 103 that begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in me, within me. When I read that, I, I, for the longest time I thought, how in the world can I bless God? How can I bless somebody that has everything? He is the creator. He's the sustainer. Uh, he needs nothing. How can I bless him? How, how can I? He blesses me. How can I bless the living God? And then I began to realize that that word bless means happy. And we go back to Matthew with the Beatitudes, and we, you know, know them as from the King James as blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, etc. But when you look at that word bless, it means happy. And some translations even have happy are the poor in spirit, happy are the meek. And so I began to realize that to bless God is to make him happy. So when we praise God, it makes him happy. It blesses him. When we express love towards God, it makes him happy. It blesses him. When we obey God and obey his commandment, it blesses him. It makes him happy. And what does God do when we make him happy, when we bless him? He rejoices, just like the father in this parable. He rejoices. In the book of Zephaniah, it's probably one you read every week, right? You read the book of Zephaniah every week? Uh, Zephaniah is a three-chapter uh, minor prophet. And in the last verses of chapter 3, 
there's something said about God and about us and our relationship to him. And most commentators believe this is a prophecy of what's going to happen at the end of Revelation. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, and we are living in direct communication with God, and there's no more sin and no more death and no more crying and no more pain, listen to what Zephaniah has to say in verse three, chapter 3, verse 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God is going to rejoice over us with singing. He's a rejoicing God. And when we bless him, when we, we praise him, when we worship him, when we obey him, when we love him, when we tell others about him, it makes him happy and he's blessed and he rejoices over that, just like that son, just like the father rejoiced over the son. But then he's also, God, the fifth thing is, is that God is a tenacious God. He never gives up on us. No matter how far from him we stray, he's still seeking. He's still seeking God, but he never gives up. We see the father in this parable not giving up on his son. And, and I, I, the, the text doesn't show this, but I can imagine that, like I said earlier, that every day he goes out thinking, today is the day my son's going to come back. Today is the day he's going to return. Today is the day I'm going to see his face as he walks down that driveway. Today is the day. See, God never gives up. We see that in the two parables prior to this one, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. The shepherd went out until he found the sheep. The lady looked for the coin until she found the coin. They did not stop. God never gives up on us. One of my favorite songwriters, Christian songwriters and performers is Matt Redman. And he says in his song, You Never Let Go. Oh, no, you never let go through the calm and through the storm. Oh, no, you never let go. In every high and every low, every low, oh, Lord, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. God is a tenacious God. And he seeks after us, and he asks that question, where are you? So every time that we read about our Father which art in heaven, Remember that God is a seeking father. He's a loving father. He's a forgiving father. He's a celebrating father, and he's a tenacious father. And he's constantly asking you and me the question, where are you in relationship to me? Where are you? And some of you may be walking today very, very close to God. And some of you may be very far to God. We're here in a place of worship. And so you haven't strayed so far as the son in this story. But maybe you aren't as close to God as he wants you to be. You know, a parable is simply a fictitious story that shares a point. Shares a purpose. 
I don't believe that the people that Jesus told parables about were, were real people. I mean, they could have been. He could have been somebody he knew. But for the most part, I think they were fictitious. They were, they were people that, that he used the story to show a point. And so with that, I want to close today with a parable of a girl's pearls. There was a little girl who was in the checkout line with her mother. And you know what? Those checkout lines, they got all the stuff on both sides they want you to buy because you're standing there doing nothing. And you're like, oh, oh yeah, I'll, I could get that piece of candy. Yeah, I need a candy bar. Yeah. Like you need a hole in the head, you need another candy bar. But anyway, you get out and, you, and, you, and they're there because people in the store know you're going to buy them. And so the mother was there with her little daughter. The little daughter was looking around and she saw this pearl, plastic pearl necklace. And she said, oh, mommy, I've got to have that. I've got to have that. You know how kids do that. And the mom said, no, you don't need that. She said, oh, mommy, I need that necklace. I've got to have that necklace. And the mother said, no, no, honey, you don't need the necklace. She says, mommy, mommy, please, I'll, I'll work around the house. I'll do chores, whatever you want me to do. I need to have that necklace. And the mother said, no, you don't need it. She said, mom, mommy, my birthday's coming up soon, and I know I'll get some money. I'll even give you some of the money for my birthday to have that necklace. And finally, the mother gave in and bought the necklace for the little girl. The little girl didn't even wait to get to the car before she had a package open, that necklace out and around her neck. And she would not take it off. Her mother had to make her take it off to take a bath. She loved it, and she just wore it constantly. She'd had it for quite a while. And one night, her daddy came in, as he always did, and tucked her in and said the evening prayers. And he said, honey, uh, would you give me your necklace? She said, oh, no, daddy. I, not my necklace. You, you can have any of my toys in my toy box, but not my necklace. He said, okay, honey, I understand. About a week or so later, he came in, and again, he said, can I have your necklace? She said, oh, no, Daddy. You can have any of my dolls, but not my necklace. He said, I understand. About a month went by, and he came in, and she went lying in her bed. She was sitting up with her legs crossed and her hands like this, clutched together, and her lip was kind of trembling, and he said, honey, what's wrong? She said, Daddy, you can have my necklace. She had it in her hand. You can have it, Daddy. I know you want it. So he took that plastic necklace. He reached down into his pocket, pulled out a velvet case, and opened up, and there was a real pearl necklace that he took and put it around her neck and clasped it. And he said, honey, I've just been waiting to give this to you, but you had to give up the other one first. You see, that's what our Heavenly Father wants to do with each one of us. He wants to give us the real pearl necklace when we're hanging on to the plastic junk. We like our junk. We like our stuff. We like the things that, that, that we like in life, and God wants to give us a much more abundant, full life. We may not be to the point of eating with the pigs like the, the son in this story was. We may not be that low and hanging under that kind of junk. 
but all of us have plastic stuff in our life that God wants to give us real pearls. And my question to you is this. Where are you in taking the pearls that God wants to give to you? Would you bow with me, please? Father, you are such an awesome, awesome Father. Lord, you never give up on us. You love us unconditionally. You seek us down the darkest paths that we may go. And you do this because you love us and you want to forgive us. Lord, help us to accept what you have for us. We could each say, we've sinned against you. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. But Lord, we want that forgiveness. We want that party because we have made you happy. We have blessed you and you rejoice over us. Lord, help us to do that this very day and every day. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I read a story this week about uh, from C.S. Lewis about telling a little boy that he had a vacation on the beach, but he didn't want to go because he was playing in the mud in the streets. He didn't. He was perfectly happy and content where he was, and his father wanted to give him a a great gift, and he refused that gift, and. He kept playing in the mud in the streets. And sometimes we treat our faith like that. Thank you, Greg, because that's a message that's good. Let's stand together. and Maybe you need to lay down some plastic pearls to get the real thing and give your life to Jesus today. It's for our family this week, and uh, continue to pray because it's, you know, it's our time to go through. And thank you for your love and encouragement. Um, this coming week, we have our cookout. Next week, it's the block party. So be inviting friends and neighbors. And remember, the best way to get people out there is not to put an ad on Facebook. It's to bring them yourself. So that's that's also good news for church, too. You can get them to come if you invite them a lot of times. When was the last time we did that? So, um, yeah, that's coming up. Um, in the bulletin, you'll see an announcement about a Good News Club at Columbia Elementary. We are going to be doing training for that. I had a phone call about this about that this week from someone in the church, and um, that's going to be happening hopefully here in the fall. We've got to get some more leaders for it. So if you're interested, ask the questions um, with that. And, um, yeah, a lot of things going on. Austin, come on up here. And all the rest of the Chase relations come up here, too. Um, if you're related to anybody named Chase, get up here. There you go. That'll get you up there. You guys met Austin. Austin uh, graduated from Centennial, got his Bible a couple of weeks ago. You been reading it? Okay, you better. All right. Um, is that good or bad? Okay. Austin is entering the Air Force next Sunday, right? Yeah, I, le- I leave Pueblo next Sunday. So we're going to pray for him, and I know his family wants to pray for him too. It's us too. They didn't ask me to do this. I just called him up here. But I'm going to get our most senior airman to pray for you. You get up here. 
and everybody stand. We're going to pray for Austin. We go. If you want to come up here too, that's fine. But I know that John and Carrie are incredibly proud of Austin, uh, and Randy and Teresa, and even Amber probably is too. And um, but we want to pray for him as we go. And I'm going to give the mic to to uh, Brother Bob, and he is going. This will be our benediction today. So pray for Austin. He's going to serve first in basic at in San Antonio. And then from where you will go, we will find out, right? All right, man. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you right now and we think of Austin and his future, God, this is a step that only you and he can provide and be a success. But God, you want to give him as we have heard today, the pearls of life. And God, I pray that you would just guide his heart and give him the courage to be what you want him to be. But God, I pray for his family as they will be constantly lifting him up in prayer. And God, I ask you to be glorified by his life and the life of his family and the life of our church as we pray and ask for guidance and strength for him and constantly pray in his behalf. God, thank you for the word we heard today and the truth of the truth of the word that, God, you constantly love us even though we may not love you. But, God, we thank you for that love and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Greg, for your message. Be blessed this week. Come give Austin a hug, too.